Good morning. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word as we read from the book of Psalms, Psalm 85, verses 1 and 2, and then verses 8 through 13, and also from 2 Peter, chapter 3, verses 8 through 15. Hear the word of the Lord. You showed favor to your land, O Lord. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. Selah. I will listen to what God the Lord will say. He promises peace to his people, his saints, but let them not return to folly. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. Peter, writing to the exiles, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I don't often start a sermon with a cliche, but some cliches ring true, and you probably have heard this one before. Christians are in the world, but not of it. Now, this forces us to be conflicted with two worlds, the one in which we presently live and the one that is to come, what is our true home. You know, years ago, there was an old song, and maybe from time to time you still hear it, and the song goes like this. Soon I will be done with the trouble of this world, the trouble of this world, the trouble of this world. Soon I will be done with the trouble of this world. I'm going home to live with God. And it, it reminds us of our true home. And in this world, yeah, we do have trouble. But what is home? You know, psychologists tell us that, that home is an attachment to 
place and, and people. Home is, is where you're not turned away. It is security and belonging. Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz isn't at home while she's in the land of Oz, right? For all of its wonder, Oz wasn't enough. She doesn't find any satisfaction, and her odyssey doesn't end until she realizes, you know the line, that there's no place like home. Yeah, the advent of Christ reminds us that the world we presently live in is fallen. It's impermanent and being replaced. And loving this world doesn't satisfy. Loving, loving this world leaves you empty. And the advent of Christ reminds us that we are not made to live in this world the way it is forever. Hallelujah. The advent of Christ shows us that God came to us in Christ from another place, a place from which we were made and where we belong is what Peter calls the home of righteousness. Don't you love that phrase? This home is what Psalm 85 describes. It's where people and place are under God's favor. Psalm 85, one says, you showed favor to your land, O Lord. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. Home is where heaven and earth is in harmony. Psalm 85, 11 says this, faithfulness springs forth from the earth and righteousness looks down from heaven. Home is where people live together in harmony. Psalm 85, 10 says, love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. The home of righteousness is wherever God is. Psalm 85, 13 says, righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. But the question for the Christian today is, how are we to live in this world? How are we to live in this world while we wait for the home to come? And our scripture tells us there's something we should remember, there's a way we should respond, and there's a wholesome thought that should rule. There's something to remember, there's a way we should respond under a wholesome thought that should rule. So something that we should remember in verses, verse 8 and 10 of, of 2 Peter 3. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with the roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. So there's something to remember. And what we need to remember is that the Lord is not like us. He's not like us in regards to time. For him, God is never pressured by a deadline. He's not bound to a clock. So while he exhibits patience, it isn't because he has to. It's because he wants to. To the Lord, a day or a thousand years are the same. But for us, sequential beings, it's not like that. <laughs> we mark the years, the months, the days, the weeks, the hours, the minutes, the seconds. But God doesn't count 
the increments of time. We want instant. We like 5G. We want fast loading web pages. Microwave popcorn. Jiffy pop used to be the rage, but it takes too long. We like the express checkout. The easy pass. If we don't, if we don't have to wait, we won't. But God, who sits in eternity, steps out of eternity, fashions time. He made the planets. He causes the cycles of, of, the, of the earth around the sun. He doesn't have to wait. He chooses to wait so that he might give space to repent. See, if you and I have to wait, yeah, we aren't looking for repentance. We want a reason. Why? Why? Why the delay? And what can be done about it? See, the Lord's waiting is on purpose because he desires to show mercy. The Lord's not like us. He's not like us. He's not like us regarding time. He's not like us when it comes to keeping his promise. He's not like us when it comes to patience. He's not like us. And this is what we should remember. And that the Lord's not like us, that truth is both, it's both freeing and it's, it's fearful. It's freeing because it relieves us from acting like we're in charge of our own destiny and other people's destinies. That's freeing. It's fearful, too, because the Lord has the power to determine times. Reality conforms to him. Reality, he controls and he shapes destinies. He determines. Look at verse, listen to what verse 10 says. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Isn't that fearful? Because he changes, he changes the heavens. He changes the earth. He changes those who live on the earth and what we've done. All of our accomplishments, the things that we've done, what we've built, our educations, our our buildings, our, our, our systems, all of those things, God says he will lay bare in the heat of his return. Who has power like that except the Lord? This is what we should remember. And with this in mind... How should we respond? Look at verse verse 11 and 13. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So how should we respond? Well, first of all, the scripture tells us that, that we're from another country. This is what Peter is saying in the text here. Because verse 11 literally means, when he says, what kind of people ought you to be? It literally means, of what country? So Peter draws on the idea that believers are people of another country. And Paul expresses that in Philippians 3.20 when he says, but our citizenship is in heaven. We eager, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And in Ephesians, he tells that Jews and Gentiles, in Ephesians 2, Jews and Gentiles are said to share in this common citizenry. In verse 19 of chapter 2, he says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners or aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, our home. Know what country you're from. You know what country you're from. As citizens of heaven, made up of people from multiple nations, we're commanded, we're being commanded to live like the country that we're from. And, and what does that living consist of? Well, he says it here. It consists of, of holiness and godliness. Holiness says and godliness says. This is the verb, the Greek verb there, the, the, Greek, the Greek adjective rather, is plural. And that Greek noun is, is godly, is is. It's plural. Holiness is and godliness is. So he's saying that, that everything, since everything is being destroyed, since you're a people of another country, what's the most important way to live? To live transformed lives since the, the world is being transformed. To live holy and godly. Holy describes what you do while godly describes who you are. And who you are informs what you do. The world is being remade and so are those for whom it's being remade. Hallelujah. Therefore, Peter's saying, live as if you are being remade. So move towards, move towards each other in holiness and act like God. Because that's what godliness means, God-likeness. Godliness is being like God. He's not like us, but he tells us to be like him. So we aren't passively, we aren't passively waiting for the world to change, as the one song puts it. He keeps waiting for the world to change. But he said, no, we're not passively waiting for the world to change. We are changing along with it. And we are actively working to see it changed. And Peter calls it looking forward to the day of God and speeding its coming. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying he is saying that we can experience that home of righteousness right now. That we can experience that home of righteousness right now as we live our lives forward, our minds fixed on the new heaven and the new earth, the home of righteousness. And if you find that hard to grasp, it should alert. That should alert you that something's wrong. Yeah. So it is. It is hard to grasp, and it should alert you that something is wrong. And C.S. Lewis says that it's because our whole education tends to fix our minds on this world. And he writes this. He writes the apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. You see, our, that our minds, our thoughts are in heaven. On heaven, it enables us. We have a little piece of that home right now as we live and as we work. So this is how we should respond. The world is being remade, and so are we. Therefore, we are looking forward. We're not passively waiting for the world to change. 
No, we're active. We are actively through faith and the power of the gospel, inspiring, holy and godly living, changing as the Lord changes the world. Experience that home, that home of righteousness right now. But what keeps you, what keeps us going on? Because there are days it does seem like the Lord is tearing, even though he's not. As the scripture is, it feels that way. It feels like that, even though, even though he's not. What motivates us? So there's a, there's a wholesome thought. There's a wholesome thought that should rule in verses 14 and 15. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. See, this this wholesome thought that is is the basis of Peter's letters. He writes both letters. He He writes to both encourage their faith and to stir them up to live in peace. So, he says in verse one, dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. See, what Peter is saying, he wants uh, wants them to engage their minds with the gospel as it pertains to the unbelief of the coming of the Lord. And that word bears in verse 15 means to rule, to rule. So what, what rules our thinking? What should rule our thinking? Well, the wholesome thought that should rule is that the Lord's patience, look back to verse 8, his his patience means salvation. So Peter has come back to where he began with the Lord's patience. Now, patience really is not the best word. You know, it, it doesn't capture, it doesn't capture that Greek word. I love this word, macrothumia. It just kind of rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Macrothumia. It's, it's, it's the, 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 that old English word long suffering is better. Yeah, long suffering. That the long suffering, God is long suffering. See, that's the gospel. It's in that gospel, yeah, there, there's that tension, long suffering, because the gospel is that God waits, He waits to punish sins, but also to save His people. You remember? The promise of a savior was given in Genesis. God wants, but God waited in order to save. He didn't eliminate Adam and Eve right away. He waited in order to save. He waited until the ark was completed in order to cleanse the world of its continual evil in Genesis 6 and to save Noah and the eight souls on board. He waited to call Abraham away from the idolatry and the sins of of his fathers to announce the gospel, as Galatians puts it, beforehand, that in him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. He waited for the sin of the Amorites to become full as God reveals his plan to Abraham. He waits for the sin of the Amorites to become full before he delivered Abraham's children from the bondage of Egyptian slavery. And in Galatians 4, 4 and 5, but when the fullness, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, 
born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of son. God waits in order to save. But did you notice in all of these scenarios, in all these biblical scenarios, that the Lord was fulfilling a promise? See, Christ, Christ's coming is in keeping with this promise. But God waits. He waits that he might save. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's the, that's the awesome thought. That's the wholesome thought, rather, that should rule. So let me ask you. You're like Dorothy. Are you ready for this odyssey to end? And do you know, do you know the, the way to that home of righteousness? See, the Bible is saying to you, the Bible is saying to us that right now, right now, the Lord is waiting for you, for us to come to repentance and to realize that the reason he waits to return is so that he might save all of his people. See, the Lord, the Lord has made provision for all who call on Christ to be saved. And the wrath that is here in the text is for those who do not obey the gospel. And you might ask, well, what do I say? And are you, are you asking me to become a Christian again? No, that's not what, that's not what I'm saying. See, because believers, as believers, we need the gospel. We need to hear it. We need to hear it every day. We need to hear it moment by moment. So whether you're saved or not saved, you know, this message is for you. This, the gospel message is for you. How do you pray? What should you pray? Pray with the psalmist, Psalm 85, 7, when he said, Show us your unfailing love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Yeah, that's, the, that's the thing. That's the thing to pray. Because he... And you know, you know where he has shown his unfailing love, right? Where did he show his unfailing love? On the cross. On the cross when Christ died. See, Jesus. You see, Jesus is the one who fulfilled Psalm 85. Through Christ's cross, heaven and earth are in harmony. See, Jesus is the one. He's the one who goes before us. He makes the home of righteousness what it is. And not other things, not other people. Jesus, Jesus makes the home of righteousness. You know, so, if, and when you're on the way home, you know, uh, as, you, as you're traveling, sometimes you have to stop at a rest area, don't you? This isn't in my notes, sorry if you're looking in the sermon, but you're not going to find this. But, you know, you, you stop in a rest area, you know, and, but, but you can't live in the rest area, can you? That would be inappropriate. You know, you know, and if, if you were to stay at the rest area long, what's going to happen? Yeah, you, you'll trash it. There's no kitchen. <laughs> In some rest areas, you don't really have a bathroom. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just, a, it's just a stuff. And see, some people, that's the way, you, that's the way some folks treat lives. They treat their, they treat their marriage. They treat their job. They'll treat their education. They'll treat their government as, as if, as if it's, as, as if it's home. It's not. It's a rest area. It's nice to stop there. You can be thankful for it, but it's not home. It's not meant to bear the weight of living there forever. But Jesus, Jesus is our home. He is our home. And through Christ, 
When he fulfills this Psalm, Psalm 85, through him, righteousness and peace kiss each other. You know what happened on the cross? See, on the cross, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that we in him might become the righteousness of God. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Therefore, since we have been justified or declared righteous through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's Romans 5.1. In Christ, righteousness and peace kiss each other. Christ makes our home. Yeah, here is our place. Here, there's our place. He's our, there's our people in Christ. In him, we are never turned away. Hallelujah. You know, and we are, in him, we are secure. In him, we have this sense of belonging. See, Christ accomplished these things for us when he came the first time. In our home, he left us, he left his home, some of his home with us. The Holy Spirit, the scripture says, is a deposit. A guarantee of what's to come. And yet, the scripture says he's coming again to consummate the restoration of all things. To bring us, to bring to us our true home. I love the tagline in the movie, uh, the Dunkirk. Uh, and, and the movie's about the events of, uh, of Dunkirk where, where the British soldiers were stranded on the beach. And they're surrounded by, by, the, by these Nazi soldiers in, in the French Republic during World War II. And they're stranded on the beach with no protection, no hope of, of saving themselves from the enemy's attacks. But the news got out that they were stranded on, on, on the shores and, and there was, there was no, the British Navy wasn't able to get to them. So then local, local fishing boats and pleasure boats, as many as this could be gathered, they began to make the trip to the place where the soldiers were stranded. And the tagline, the tagline for the movie said, when they couldn't get home, home came for them. Hallelujah. See, that'll preach. Somebody ought to say amen. When they couldn't get home, home came for them. So listen, beloved, that is what we have to keep in our minds. That the advent of our Lord means when we couldn't, when we couldn't get to the home of righteousness, the home of righteousness came for us. You see, C.S. Lewis, again, he says, he writes this as he talks, as he, as he talks about this, you know, that, that this, is, this is the culture that we want. This is the culture that we live in. And he reminds us, you know, that ducks, ducks, this is in mere Christianity. Ducks, you know, they, they, they don't complain about, wet, about being wet. People do. Why? Because it's not our home. We're, it's not our culture. It's not where we live. And he says this, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care on the one hand never to despise or be unthankful for these earthly blessings and on the other never to mistake them for the something else of which they are only a kind of copy or echo or mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country 
which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to the other country and to help others to do the same. See, brothers and sisters, soon and very soon, the king is coming for us. And we are going to see the king. But while we wait, know that there is something that we should remember. That the Lord is not like us. That there is a way that we should respond as, as those from another country whose citizenship is in heaven. And there's a wholesome thought that should rule. That the Lord waits so that he might save. And so we pray with joy. Even so, come. Lord Jesus, let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, indeed, we look for your coming. We expect your coming. Lord, help us by your, the power of your spirit not to be stuck here in the rest stop, but to move on to that true country, the true home of righteousness. For Jesus' sake, in whose name we pray, amen.